And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Nathan Hirsch. He'll be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Nathan, what's up? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking all about what we're going to talk about today. Before we get too far into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And I brought an expert in to talk about building remote teams. So as you know, if uh, for those of you that listen regularly, Fullscale specializes in development help. We do not do anything related to virtual assistants. And that is a commonly asked question. I do get that question a lot. So I thought I would bring in an expert. So with us today, I've got the co-founder of Outsource School, and you can go to outsourceschool.com if you want to learn more about what Nathan's up to. Nathan has a very extensive background in this kind of stuff. So here we are. Nathan, what's your backstory, my friend? Yeah, it's funny. My my parents uh, growing up, they were teachers, and I always grew up with the mentality that I would go to school, get a real job, work for 30 years, retire, and they always made me get these jobs, these summer jobs. I was working 40, 50 hours a week. My friends were outside playing, and, and I learned so much about just business and customer service and working with people, but I also learned that I hated having a boss, and by the time I got to college, I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to graduate and get a job, so I got to start hustling. And I started off competing with my school bookstore for textbooks. I would offer people more money than the bookstore, sell them online, still make a good margin. And my, I, I eventually had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books until my bookstore caught on and they sent me a cease and desist letter to knock it off. <laughs> So that means you were doing something right. Right. And that was my first glimpse into being an entrepreneur. And at the time I was terrified. I mean, my parents were teachers getting kicked out of school would have been the worst possible scenario. Wouldn't have gone over well. And, and I pivoted and I started selling different things on Amazon. I had sold uh, some books there. This was 2008, 2009. So Amazon wasn't what like it is now. It was kind of a big bookstore getting into other products. And I started experimenting. I would drive to the dump and pick up products and list it. I would go online and find people that were selling products and try to drop ship them. And eventually, I through a lot of failure, I came across baby products. And if you can imagine me as a 20-year-old single college guy with more hair selling baby products on Amazon and selling a lot of baby products, we're talking millions of dollars worth, um, that was me. And this business was scaling fast as Amazon was scaling fast. And I had to start hiring people. I mean, I was starting to get stressed out. I was working a lot, um, 40, 50, 60 hours a week combined with fraternity life, school, all of that. And and I turned to college kids and they were pretty quickly unreliable. They were smoking weed on the job, drinking, oversleeping for shifts. And so I pivoted to the remote hiring world. This buddy of mine told me about the Upworks, the Fivers, got into them, hired some pretty good VAs, some good ones, some bad ones eventually built a really good hiring process that I now teach at Outsource School. But I got sick of those marketplaces. I'm sure you did pretty quickly, kind of a big free-for-all. And 
I kept wanting something faster and, and I kept looking for something better, something quicker. When I couldn't find it, I said, you know what? I'll build this myself. And I launched my own marketplace called FreeUp with a, a $5,000 investment. And we ended up scaling that, which we can talk about and selling that, which we can also talk about um, from a $5,000 investment to eventually doing 12 million a year by year four. And, and that business was completely run by VAs, no office, no US employees, just me, my business partner, and 35 VAs remote in the Philippines doing all the day-to-day -day operations. And when that business was acquired, People started asking us if we could teach them our exact systems and processes, and that's what led us to Outsource School. So that's a short version from books to baby products to free up to, to now Outsource School. And, you know, that, that's an interesting parallel because Full Scale, which is just over two years old at this point, around that same, it, it wasn't always Full Scale. And I had, in, in 2009, had gone back to school as an adult, and they were telling us, you need to outsource, you need to offshore, you need to do all this, but they didn't tell us how to do it. Right. And so I had to go figure it out and, you know, started similar to you. I was like, you know, look at some of these different marketplaces and stuff like that. And, and, you know, we've seen, and if you were doing it back then, that's when, uh, uh, Upwork was still called Odesk. Odesk. Yep. And, you know, it went through some stuff and, and you mentioned the term free for all and, you know, those marketplaces similar to that can be really good for some people and they are not ideal for others. And some of the issues that you have there is even though, certain developers have given history, there are some concerns that can come up related to intellectual property. You don't have the ability to have any type of actionable response if you were to have a problem with, you know, unless you have boots on the ground, wherever those folks are at. And then sometimes you might have to go through several people before you find someone that's really doing the job well. And, you know, there's a, a number of different reasons that that kind of stuff can occur. Um, sometimes it's as simple as uh, the the service provider not having adequate bandwidth or a place to work and stuff like that. So similar to your story, we we had started with that over the years and ended up pivoting into you know saying, hey, there's got to be a better way. Like you were, you were saying with virtual assistants, and when you hear the term, for those of you listening, if you're not aware, VA virtual assistant, it's very common, very useful. Um, and there's a lot of people that need online tasks performed and, you know, a whole lot of different stuff. And the, the world becomes very small when you uh, connect it with the Internet. So, yeah, I went through a lot of different stuff. And I think that's some of the stuff we can talk about. And congratulations on all the, the success you had with FreeUp. And I love Outsource School as well, because one of the things that I run into a lot is people just say, man, how do I do this? And, and as I mentioned, I'm, I'm in a I was in the top 10 business school in 2009 and they're saying offshore outsource but they they literally did not tell you one thing about how to do it had to figure it all out so i've spent a lot of time and in my book million dollar bedroom uh there's an entire chapter titled it's always sunny in cebu city where i talk about our uh our uh you know introduction of ourselves and getting to know people over a 10-year period in the philippines this has been a lot of fun and uh, definitely enjoyed it. So, you know, when it comes to the problem that you were solving with VAs, what's some of the things that the users of your of your marketplace or outsource school are having the biggest problems with? So, what, what were they having issues with? And why they came to free up? Or yeah, like on yeah, why, why either either like what what were what were some of the things you've run into that people were generally confused about or just generally didn't understand or get when it came to outsourcing or offshoring? 
Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of answer in two parts. So what, when I built FreeUp, I tried to take everything that I didn't like about the other platforms and change them. And the four things I didn't like were the, the pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service, and the protection. So we vetted people before they got on the platform. We matched people up quickly where they didn't get 50 applicants over the course of three weeks. They got one or two in the course of 24 hours or less. Great 24-7 support in case you have even the smallest issue and a no turnover protection. If someone quits, we cover replacement costs. Now, with that said, that's all great, but if you don't know what to do with the virtual assistant after the fact, it, it doesn't do you much good. And almost all the issues that you hear about with virtual assistants, a lot of times it comes down to the onboarding and people skip that onboarding step. I like to divide up hiring into four parts. You've got interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And most entrepreneurs know you need to interview someone before you hire them. Most entrepreneurs know you need to train them on some level. And most entrepreneurs know that you need to manage them after the hire, but everyone skips that onboarding step. So what we teach people to do at Outsource School is use our SICK method, which is S-I-C-C. That stands for Schedule, Issues, Communication, and Culture. And instead of saying, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you at five bucks an hour. Let's jump into training. We say, okay, that was a great interview. I want to take you through this 20, 40 minute process. We're going to talk about rate. We're going to talk about bonuses and raises. We're going to make sure you're good with that. We're going to go through the schedule you have with us, with your other clients. If you have them, how many total hours a week you're working, what the overlap is, what your outside commitments are. We're going to go over issues. We're going to go over personal, weather, computer, internet. Um, we're going to make sure that how often you have those issues, what the backup plan is for each issue, and how you're supposed to communicate those issues if they happen. Then going over communication, what channels we use, making sure they're okay with the software. We're not just throwing Time Doctor at them two months later out of the blue. We've talked about this. We've established they're good with it. And then whatever your culture is and, and making it clear that you don't work with people outside your culture. So once you've gone through this SICK method, which again is a 20 to 40 minute process, it's not a four hour process, you give the VA a chance to back out because we'd much rather someone backs out if they're like, Nate, your expectations are too high or whatever it is if it's not a fit. So spending that 20 to 40 minutes onboarding up front saves you so much hassle down the line. Yeah, and that's something we're really particular about at full scale is finding a match. You know, and the and, and the matching part is the key because if you have someone that isn't interested or passionate or just you know, overwhelmingly not into what they're doing, they're going to quit. They're going to quit. You can tell. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. They're not going to do a great job. They're not going to feel excited about it. And then some other things as, and I'm, even though we have listeners in 190 countries, I'm going to speak to our American listeners for a moment. We make a lot of assumptions in America and that sometimes it's like everyone's culture might be exactly like us. Right. Well, full scales in the Philippines, I know that most of your VAs are. Well, now the Philippines is a really good fit for when it comes to America. They, the uh, largely Catholic culture has very similar holidays, but they have a lot of holidays that aren't ours. They don't celebrate July 4th. That's a work day for them. That's not a work day for most people here. And you talk about these other things and, and you know, Nate mentioned the term overlap. It's a 13 hour time difference. So, at, well, at least here in my time zone, I know you're in Eastern time, I'm here in Central, but where does that overlap occur? Where are you going to, where and when are you going to communicate with your team or, or whoever that is? And your value can sometimes diminish if you have to somehow log online at 9 p.m. at night 
outside of the normal context of doing things. And these are the things that are best established up front, just like what you said. What are you going to do? What's the responsibility? What's the level of commitment? You know, what do you need to do to win? And whether you're hiring an outsourced person or someone to come work with you every day, these are all good things to talk about up front. And uh, you mentioned almost wanting to scare someone off a little bit. And I don't know if that's the right term, but hey, I want you to know what you're getting into. And I love the fact that you do similar to what we do as if they wash or take off. If, if it's not a good fit right away, like we give some two week guarantee, we refer to it as an 80 hour interview. So if you realize someone isn't a good fit for you, we want long term placements. And that that involves two different parties, not just one saying, hey, do this. So, yeah, and I, I like the sick uh, SICC comparison. We um, yeah, we have a similar onboarding process. You have to give people the tools, the definition, and explain to them what winning is. Don't just assume that they're mind readers and figure it out on their own. Is that fair? Definitely. And so we like to do all of our onboarding and interview via Slack for a lot of reasons. I mean, people in the Philippines tend to be shy on video. Um, we communicate mostly through Slack, so we want to interview them in the same way that we normally talk to them. Plus, it lets you have screenshots and a record of the conversation. So if they say, hey, don't worry, I have another computer in my house. If my computer breaks, it's going to be okay. And then a week later, their computer breaks and they can't work for a week. You can go back and show them a screenshot and say, hey, we talked about this. What happened? And you're not relying on some phone call you had weeks or months ago. So it allows you to keep them accountable and keep everything in writing, which I'm a big proponent of as well. Now, were you when at FreeUp? Were they were your service providers? Were they contractors or your employees? Uh, contractors. So we were a marketplace for virtual assistants and freelancers. So they were just offering service on the marketplace. But um, we did have some clients that would buy them off the platform and make them employees of their company. So yeah, that's one. That's one major difference we had there. The employees at FullScale are actually our employees, and they receive benefits and do a number of different stuff. The market for developers is really competitive, yeah, and you know, in order to get the best people we could there, that was really the thing because you know there's an uncertainty to contract work on some levels. Now on certain levels, there's a from a business owner perspective, there's a lower liability there because if a contractor isn't getting the job done, you can say, all right, we're not going to be a contractor with you anymore. Um, what sort of, you know, what sort of employee vetting were you looking for? Like, what are some of the tips when it comes to, and, and once again, these things could be applied, not just to people in the Philippines, but anywhere, but what were some of the red flags you figured out? And I'll share a few of the ones we've learned too. Yeah. So for interviewing, and you're absolutely right, this applies whether you're hiring a VA, an employee in your office, whatever it is, we call it our CARE method. And it stands for communication, attitude, red flags, and experience. And I'll touch upon the red flags because you mentioned it, which it's great that we're in line. A lot of people during the interview process, you're, you're they're looking for the right answers. And that those are the entrepreneurs that get BSed a lot. The people tell them what they want to hear. What we try to encourage people to do is you're looking for the red flags. You're that's your goal during the interview. We want to look at what is this person showing me that shows they don't have the communication I want. They don't have the attitude I need in my company or they don't have the experience that I need for this role. So for experience, and I think everyone kind of knows to vet on experience, that's one part of it. It's not the whole thing. Just because someone has a portfolio and five years of experience, that's not the end all be all. And 
And what you really care about when it comes to experience, you don't need everyone to be a 10 out of 10. They can be a 7 out of 10, a 3 out of 10, depending on what you're hiring them for. What you care about is, are they honest about what they can and cannot do? Because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. For attitude, you want someone who's positive, who's the bigger man, the bigger woman. We're all going to have clients that aren't rainbows and butterflies, but you don't want to get into something where your client says something who pisses off your, your VA, your freelancer, your employee, and they go right back at them. And you want someone who's professional at all times. You, we want someone who has an entrepreneurial spirit in the sense that they want to build things. They want to be a part of something. And that money isn't the end-all be-all. If you find people that care about money over everything else, there's always going to be someone out there that can pay them more money. So they have to care about something else, whether it's stability, whether it's title, whether it's growth and education, which is one of the things that we really like. And then lastly is communication. And that's the thing that really holds it all together. It doesn't matter how, what their experience is or what their attitude is. If, if you can't communicate with them on a day-to-day -day basis, nothing else matters. And that stuff like response time, be able to understand your questions and respond to them directly, be able to have meetings and not go in circles. Um, and obviously they have to speak your language at a high level if you're someone like me that, that only speaks one language. So that trifecta of skill, attitude, and communication, that's what we look for in a hire. Yeah, and I, you know, very well aligned there. The, I think that it starts with communication. And if I and at full scale, if our service providers don't speak English, well, they won't be. They're not our service providers because we can't offer them a job. Um, One hundred percent of our clients are are English speaking, and they're from Australia, Canada, North America, you know, United States, wherever. And and if you can't communicate, it just makes it all a challenge. Uh, that was one of the things when I hired some of the first people that I hired in 2009, I learned very quickly um, that it is difficult. Now in 2009, we didn't have Zoom to, to date myself a little bit here. That's when Skype had just come out. Right. Because I remember someone was like, hey, there's this new thing called Skype. You should try talking to the people in the, your, your folks in the Philippines with it. And I was like, whoa, I can call the other side of the world for free. Now with, with hiring a developer, it's, it's different because there's a, a level of technical experience that is very difficult to judge because it's easy to look at. So in the, in the United States, we call it a resume everywhere else. They call it CV curriculum vital. And, you know, you look at someone's experience and you think that someone that's been doing something for six years should potentially at that point at, be a math, have some mastery or be headed towards that doesn't always tell the whole thing. So, you know, we, we've created 23 different certifications that we use. And then that's, also our initial form of screening because if you don't have the technical chops to get through it then everything else doesn't matter so we start by screening people on their technical ability but you are you were right when you said so experience with a va it doesn't tell the whole side of the story like i'm looking for things like uh, relevant experience just in the industry directly direct software building experience communication attitude and likability um, you ever know someone that's so likable that they could just go around and tell people their babies are ugly and everyone <laughs> would thank them? Yeah. Like, but that's good though, because from a service provider perspective, like you said, not everything is not everything is roses and honey. So you want likable people that have a good attitude, um, and especially with things, anything with from VA to software to any of that, someone that's not going to get really shitty when you tell them that hey, this isn't done right.
you know, um, because some people get, they get upset and a, a big thing for us is critical thinking and that's problem solving. And it doesn't just stop with that. It also, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I'll expand on on your behalf is, you know, in a lot of other cultures, it's not considered a good idea to tell your quote boss, no. And that leads to, uh, you know, a lot of people that have had problems with outsourced teams, offshore developers, it starts with communication and they'll say, well, I told them something and they should have maybe known a little better, but they built it anyway. And you want to avoid the, the, a good, a good comparison would be if you were a builder and I was an engineer and I gave you a blueprint and you looked at it and you said, man, if I build this, it's going to fall over. And then you said, well, I'll just build it anyway. Cause I don't want to tell the guy no. That is a terrible approach at entrepreneurship, startups, and building software. You want people that have the critical thinking skills and the problem-solving ability to say, hey, Nate, I, hey, look, I think this concept is great, but we're going to accumulate technical debt here. There's a better way to do this. You might have five times more server expense here rather than just saying, okay, sure, and doing it. Um, that's a lot harder than it sounds for some people because if you're hiring people that maybe have three or four years of experience, they might be 25 years old. They might not have the confidence and the outwardness. And in some countries, they're, they're not like me. They're not, ah, you know, type A, willing to tell you anything, not afraid to tell you that something sucks. So, and then I think another thing for us that we're looking for is like, what level of versatility does this person have? Are they a one trick pony? I like to say you're either a sword or a Swiss army knife. So when you're in battle, you want a sword, but when you're in camp after, you don't want to try to open a can of beans with the sword. And, you know, when it comes to software developers, you get some people that have done one thing for 10 plus years, and that's what they do. That's a specialist. That's a sword. And you get some people that typical like full stack developer that does a lot of different things. Now, different businesses at different points of the timeline need different stuff. So are you, and then you need the service provider to want to do different stuff. So if you take someone that says they want to be a backend developer and you put them on a front end project for a year, they will hate you and they will quit. It's just the way it goes. Another thing too is passion. Does someone have passion for what they're doing? You find passionate people and you put them in, in a role where they are, they feel fulfilled and that they're part of a team. The amount of service and dedication that they will provide does not have a limit. You know, it's just like unbelievable. And then another thing, we this isn't outward. I also we also ask in the evaluation process, what's this person's marketability? Because you you mentioned doing interviews through Slack. We do we do client to service provider interviews through Zoom. And that's because that's where and especially now is super important because they need to be in scrum meetings and different stuff like that. So, and that's, that's a hard thing for us because overall software developers are not overwhelmingly known for their outward nature. Right. <laughs> Many are soft-spoken. They're typically introverted. You get a, you get a, a type B personality over a type A. So yeah, like you said, there's, there's this fine, there's this line that goes between like attitude and ability. Um, and the one thing you can control is your attitude, but 
you know, some people don't have it. So do, what, what did we leave off there? I felt like it was a pretty comprehensive list between the two of us. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you added some some great points. I mean, I'll go to, to I'm talking about VAs, you're talking about developers, but with a virtual assistant that it, I'll, I'll let her know. I'll be like, hey, I want you to assume I have a million things going on. I also want you to know that I'm human. I make mistakes too. If I tell you to do something and it's not right, or you think there's a red flag or it's already been done, like speak up. Don't just say yes, Nate, because I'm the boss. Like we're on the same side here and some people are shy and and you have to remind them that a few times and get them a little bit more comfortable and I mean the zoom meetings I agree and there's no right or wrong here there's no 100% way to do an interview um, but one of the reasons we don't do zoom interviews is Chicky Ann who's one of the, the best hires we've ever made I'm the godfather of one of her kids she's a, a VA in the Philippines she's terrible on camera if I had done a video interview with her I never would have hired her so they and it does it's not across the board because you can't put everyone in a country in one category but again they can be shy and i can see how that could be a little difficult yeah part of part of how we're dealing with that on a different level is you know we're we've already vetted a client and brought them in and you know it's just important as important to us that our clients be at where we need them to be as our employees um, part of that is we, we look at everyone that works at full scale, you know, this is like an extended family member and we want people that are going to treat our team members. We go to great lengths. Like we only hire the top, if you're not in the top 20% of what you do, you don't have a shot at getting a job at our company. And it's difficult to find people. That means we've got to go, you, we have to talk to a hundred people to maybe find 10 to 20 potential people. And it doesn't even mean any, they want to come work for us. So if we end up with clients that are running people down, running them out the door or whatever, and we've actually discontinued our relationship with a couple different clients over the last couple of years for that reason. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty important. I think people need to understand that you got to have it's a two way street. So I, I love the onboarding part of, of what you're dealing with too. And you, some of the thing I want to go back to that for a second. So you talk about dealing with Internet and power issues. Um, now part of, you know, full scale, we're in Cebu city and we're in an IT park and we're there because we know we can get fiber bandwidth and we always have power. Now, once again, back to assuming that the power's always on because where I live, it is, that's not the case in a lot of countries like the Philippines, they have brownouts similar to what will occur in California in the summer when everyone has their AC on. So that's that's one of the things dealing with stability and also the proper communication channels like how do you get around to doing that we provide everyone with a slack account but you know it's amazing that so many people aren't used to that kind of communication do you do anything past that or is it is it pretty much just like instant message type stuff so we, we set up three communication channels email slack and uh, whatsapp or viber in the philippines they prefer viber but in other places whatsapp yeah. and um so email is for responses within a business day slack is for all day-to-day -day communication when you're working on slack we run meetings on slack interviews on slack one-on-one -on -one performance reviews on slack and, and Viber and WhatsApp is for emergencies. And, and with FreeUp, we had a dev team who built the entire platform. And the example I always give is all, everyone has to have Viber on their phone at all times. If it's the weekend and our software crashes, I need to be able to Viber our developer. I can't shoot them a Viber message and say and get a message back saying, hey, this person no longer has Viber on their phone. They're not going to check their email or Slack until Monday. So I need to be able to get a hold of them within reason. And so part of it is setting up multiple communication chains. And 
I've seen every issue as, as you had. I have a, a, someone who hired a developer at FreeUp and they were running into issues. And I said, how are you communicating with the developer? And they said, oh, we've only been doing emails back and forth. I said, all right, well, that's a terrible way to communicate. You have to set up some Slack meetings or some kind of day-to-day um, type of meetings. But setting up the three channels or whatever channels you use, making it clear to them uh, what what each channel is for. And then sometimes you have to do some early correcting because I might get a Viber message at 9 p.m. at night over something not urgent, not important. And I'll say, hey, you could have just emailed that to me. You should have get Slack me or vice versa. They Slack me over the weekend over something urgent. And I'll respond saying, hey, you should have Vibered me like that. That was something I need to know. So establishing what your communication channels are, having multiple ones and correcting it up front is very key. Yeah, and I think in, in an extension of that as well is defining, like you said, what are priorities, who are who are points of contact given certain this or that. And, you know, you think about it from a service uh, provider side, and this is one of the things I had an issue with early is if the communication sucks, you can end up, you can, you can go from being really efficient with virtual help to being remarkably inefficient. Because right. if you're working on opposing time zones and someone's stuck there twiddling their thumbs, waiting for something there, they might miss a whole day waiting for you to show up and give them work. So one of the things that I've done is I always make sure to assign A, B and C tasks, just like that good old Franklin Templeton or Franklin Covey or whatever that planner was, you know, like don't ever do a B task, why an A task exists. And if you do a little bit of that, I, you'll find a level of productivity if you're working on different time zones. Um, I say I say that because once again, if your your value can melt away if you have to get up in the middle of the night to talk to the people that work with you. Now, in regards to that overlap, um, you know, one of the things we do is all of our shifts. So we have three shifts. We have one that will overlap with a couple hours in the morning here, one that uh, overlaps in a couple hours in the afternoon. And then there's a graveyard shift over here. Well, over there that overlaps with most of the day here. How did you guys handle that? And what's your input on the uh, on the overlap in general? Yeah, we, we did very similar. Everything's different. I mean, take customer service, for example. Uh, we had some people that were nine to five and we had other people that were overlapped. They might work midnight until 8 a.m. Customer service ran 24 seven. So we kind of had the ability to to make it staggered where some people were overlapped on U.S. times or not overlapped. Um, but then you get something like my assistant now who she works 40 hours a week. She works in the morning from 7 a.m. to noon. And then the rest of her hours for that day are flexible. So she can come in at whenever she wants. As long as stuff gets done, that's fine. I know I have her for four hours a day or whatever, and, and that, that works out perfect. And then other stuff, once you get into like graphic designers and video editors, I don't care when they work. Everything has a due date, a due time. And as long as they hit it, I'm good with it. So it really depends on, on what the job is, what the role is. Yeah, most of our employees, uh, the most popular shift is from 3 p.m. to midnight there, which overlaps in central time. It gives you until around 11 a.m. Now, they don't do daylight savings time. Right. So we do have a little flex here and there. And that's back to that culture thing. You, you just talk about some different stuff. Um, and now in regards to the communication, I, you know, one of the things that um, – and I, I had worked for a Japanese company before I started doing any of this, but I learned when dealing with Asian culture that there was a level of formality and uh, approach that was a little different. Um, there's certain things are taken a little more offensively, one of which is calling people out in a group. Oh my you know, God. like I if you're in a group and there's five people <laughs> on the team and you're like, 
you're if I was like, Nate, you really screwed this up, you know, like, and I need you to fix it. Like in some places you're going to get a resignation the next day. And, um, here that would just be like, some people are like, Hey, it is what it is. So have you had any, uh, have you learned any cultural dealings like that, that you could share? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think it, it is best practice probably in business to do it regardless, just like it's best practice to have like money conversations one-on-one, like all that stuff should needs to be one-on-one. I mean, I made that mistake. I tend to be a very non-emotional business person. Like I'll get along with people, but when we're talking business, I'm like, I'm being direct. I'm being open. I'm being honest. And we've had some times where in group conversations back in the day where I think I offended some people and had to have some one-on-one conversations to, to turn it around. And I think there's part of it is getting people that have a little bit more thick skin up front and setting an expectation that, Hey, when I tell you something's wrong, it doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I'm mad at you. It means, Hey, we got to work together to fix this. And then part of that is showing respect and having more of those performance meetings down the line. I mean, I've also seen where, um, and this was way back where we made like a, a woman in charge of a man and that didn't go over well, which was total BS. And we had to nip that in the butt pretty quick, but just stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think of as much in the U S. So, um, yeah, I mean, right now we, we try to be as sensitive as possible. We try to even make like our emails and the way we communicate, have some fluff instead of being as direct because that directness can turn people off. But we also have VAs in our system that have worked with us for for years. So when we get a new VA, they can kind of show them the ropes and be like, hey, this is what you can expect. Don't be offended here. This is just a US thing opposed to a Philippines thing. Yeah, we so we installed, uh, you know, our, the product, the the service that that full scale sells, we refer to as guided development, meaning it's up to our clients to guide their development process. We provide more man or woman power to help them do what they do. You know, augment the staff. Um, in regards to the feedback with that, we learned that it's pretty easy to send a a, a manager to chat with the team and just ask a couple simple questions along the way, like weekly, like, and, and write these down because they're simple and they, if not answered in a specific way, trigger some kind of response needed. Here you go. Is your team making progress? If the answer is no, you have something to address, like talk to you, talk to whoever. Um, are your objectives clear? Um, nothing will get you behind a timeline worse than not being on the same page about what the objectives and the priorities are. Next one, does anything need, does anything need clarification? Yes. I know those are similar questions. We asked twice for a reason. Right. Uh, next, do you have goals or deadlines? Cause that can affect your approach to doing stuff. I just think that anybody, you need to have some kind of goal. <clears throat> uh, number five, are we ahead or behind? Which is a different, is a different, uh, purview then is the team making progress, making progress could mean catching up. But, you know, when you're dealing with people that are, uh, if someone else is wanting to make a goal deadline, a launch date or something, they need to be well in tune with where they are, that progress. Um, have you avoid recently voiced any concerns to the clients? And if the answer would be yes, that's something we might want to look into. And then last does the project need more resources. So in our case, you know, we have a wide variety of service providers that can do a number of different things. Most of our clients would rather know three months ahead of time that if they added one person, that they would be much more likely to achieve their goal. 
Um, they don't want to find out a week before that they're going to be three weeks late. And had they added another team member, they would have actually made their timeline. So yeah, just a couple simple uh, questions with that. Now you have the barf method, B-A-R-F, which I, I want to hear more about. So like, that's one of the methods and none of the stuff that I asked is, is proprietary or secret. Those are all just good questions. And like I said, those are simple yes and no's. If you get, if you get the opposite to the affirmative, then you've got some more stuff to look into, but tell me about barf. Yeah. First of all, I love your point on clarification. There's so many times that, that we teach our members to pause, take a step back, get on the same page. Only when you're on the same page, then you move forward. And that's something that entrepreneurs, you're not on the same page, but they just keep going. They keep going. They keep letting the VA work. And, and that just becomes a, a nightmare down the line. So the, the BARF method's a, a funny acronym. Uh, we kind of wish it spelled something different, but we couldn't come up with anything else. But it's all about reducing turnover. So I mentioned at the beginning, there's always going to be another client out there that can pay more money than you can. That's just a fact. And if you focus just on competing on money, you're going to struggle to retain people. And turnover absolutely crushes small businesses. Turnover with developers crushes small businesses, turnovers with virtual assistants. So it's all about how do you reduce turnover? And we actually got this directly from our internal team. We got this from VAs and freelancers on our platform. We used to have group chats with all these VAs and we'd say, hey, what do you look for in a client? Who's your favorite client? And in our mind, we're thinking that it all comes down to who pays the most. And that's really not the case. So BARF stands for buying in appreciation, building relationships and creating a family. So buying in is telling the VA why you're passionate about your business what the long-term vision is, who you're helping, how they're a part of it, how the tasks they're actually doing are a part of the big picture. Showing appreciation is not being the client that just talks to the VA when they mess up or do something wrong, but saying, hey, great job. You crushed that project. You crushed this week. Can't wait to see you on Monday. Building a relationship is connecting with them on social media, getting to know them and their family, talking about your interests and what's going on in your life and showing interest in theirs. And then building a family People in the Philippines are all about family. They live with large families. Their church is their family. They have outside communities that are family. You want to create a family inside of your team where they like each other. They know each other. They get along. They're meeting up if that's possible, depending on where they are remote. That's the kind of culture you want to have because when that other higher paying job comes in and it's going to come in at some point, if you've gotten them to buy into your company, if you've shown appreciation, if you build a relationship with them and you've created a family, they're not going to want to leave. And at the very least, they're going to go to you and say, hey, I got this other job offer, but I really love it here. What can we do to make it work? And again, it's all just about reducing turnover and people don't realize how much turnover can just set you back months or years. Yeah. And the same, same thing goes with us. We actually uh, encourage, we use the phrase client obsessed and there's, there's some science behind that. That doesn't mean just making yourself crazy and obsessed with doing everything the client asks. It means being obsessed with a client's success and what the, the whole client obsessed principle leads to is a purpose driven life. And, you know, if you wake up every day and you feel like you don't have any purpose and you're just a 
empty cog in a machine. Like, I mean, it's not real exciting. So and I couldn't agree more with the, what, with what you said about family. And, you know, that's one of the things that's a challenge for us right now. Cause we went from having people that came to our office every single day. We have two entire floors of a high rise building and in a really cool it park. And then all of a sudden everyone was working remote. And, you know, when we had everyone in the office, we had a group birthday every month, we did a lot of different things. And it really led to that, that feeling that feeling of inclusion, and everyone knew each other. And that's one of the that's one of the things that we're going to have to figure out going forward, because for the foreseeable future, we're not going to have 200 people in an office every day. So yeah, but that that definitely is all very useful and uh, important when it comes to building. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at, at some of that stuff. And you know, you guys have been at outsource school, once again, go to outsourceschool.com if you want to get more stuff, uh, you know, learn, learn more great stuff. I, I feel like we're dropping some gems here. It took me about 10 years to perfect this, the, the, the stuff that's in this podcast. It sounds pretty, pretty easy and upfront. It is a lot harder when it comes to actual, you know, the actual practice of getting it rolling. So, well, you know, you, you have some success and we're able to, you, you had a, a successful exit and we don't like to mention uh, amounts, but um, you, you did end up building the free up marketplace. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the path to that, because I believe you had a successful exit with that at the end of 2019. Yeah, I mean, we really grew the marketplace very organically, and it's the same playbooks, the same systems that we teach at Outsource School. Once you've learned the fundamentals, interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing, then it becomes fun. Then you can plug virtual assistants into bookkeeping and customer service, so you don't have to do it anymore. And then you can put them into our organic playbook, which is podcasts, partnerships, affiliate program, content, and lead generation to get influencers. And all of these together is how we scaled free up. It's the same stuff we're doing at Outsource School ourselves, never mind preaching to other people. And when you have a baseline of an affiliate program and people have to like your service and you have to have a good service, you get people promoting you. You go on podcasts and and you get your message in front of thousands of people. You network with cool people. You It's good for SEO. It's good for backlinks. It's good for a snowballing effect, getting you on more and more opportunities in front of different audiences. And all this stuff kind of goes together. The podcast host might want to be an affiliate. The affiliate could introduce you to a podcast. We set up partnerships. We have a we have a we have a course called the Podcast Outreach Formula. We have a course called the, our, our playbook called the Partnership Playbook, which teaches you how to build relationships with other people in your space and set up content swaps that your virtual assistant manages. So you're constantly getting blasted into lots of people's communities. Lead generation formula is a course of ours on how to do research on influencers and reach out to them and get you them to promote you. Content, I think everyone knows uh, what content is. Networking, I'm a big proponent of networking with other entrepreneurs. That That's pretty easy as well. So all these organic things that you're doing and we're coming out with a playbook on backlinks and guest posts and all this stuff kind of goes together and it sets a really good foundation for your business. And then anything you do on paid ads only complements everything you're doing organically. And all these systems can be set up so your VA does 90% of it and you show up for the last 10%. You go on the podcast, you have the partnership call and they handle the before and the after. You actually write the guest article, but they find the backlink and they reach out later for another one. So all these systems are done by VAs that help you scale your business. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like the fact that you're you worked you spent as much time as you did on the playbook. Because back to my back to my uh, reference about the 2009 business school telling everyone to out get, become familiar with offshoring and outsourcing, and then no playbook, no other info. Just it's the way of the future. Globalization, blah 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 blah. And I think as someone that has launched a been a, a successful content marketer myself you get that same thing. You know, everyone tells you, you should do it. Start a podcast, do a YouTube, do content, write blogs, do this, do that. Okay. How, you know, and there's, there's a million websites with a million tips, which then after you go and look, give you a, basically a million reasons not to do it. Cause you might just be confused about what actually works. What kind of time frame should you expect it to work within? Cause I think I talked, you know, at fullscale.io, we publish a, a blog every weekday, and a lot of it's about technology. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about different stuff. Uh, but you know, how do you how do you, you talk to some people? They say, "Well, I published. I we had a blog, and it didn't do anything." And I go to their website and I look at it, and they've got three, right. and they published them two months apart from each other. They were they were shitty. It didn't offer any value. They were too short, blah, 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 you know, titled poorly, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. You know, it's like getting in a swimming pool. And because you don't know how to swim three minutes later, you're like, well, I guess I'm not going to swim. <laughs> so yeah, run into, run into that a lot. Well, man, we could probably go on and on and on and on and on, but we're about out of time. Now we end our episodes of Startup Hustle. We usually do what we call the Founders Freestyle. I think since it's you and I today, considering the precise nature of our subject matter expertise, let's each instead of just general founder advice, let's uh, maybe what are a couple tips for? I know we mentioned some of them, but what are what are a couple of your big big things when it comes to hiring outsource or offshore people? Yeah, I'm a big fan of diversifying. I made a, a mistake back in, back when I was in college. I hired one VA to do everything and I loaded them up and they eventually quit on me and it set me back months. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they fall into that trap where hiring's hard. You you make a few bad hires. You, you, or you finally find someone you like. You load them up with everything because you like them so much and they don't realize how risky that really makes your business. So within reason, make sure you're diversifying. Instead of hiring one person for 40 hours a week, make sure you hire, maybe hire two for 20. Um, make sure that you're dividing up tasks so that your bookkeepers aren't doing necessarily the same work on the customer service so that if one person quits, you're not training someone to do lots of different things. And over time, you can increase hours and stuff like that and cross train, but you want to diversify, especially early on. I I think for me, the thing that I have spent so much time talking to people about that I, I need everyone to get over is just because someone isn't in the room with you doesn't or they're willing to do the job for a more affordable rate does not mean that they're going to be bad at it. And I've talked to I, I spend all day every day talking to people about this. And there's this weird assumption that because someone is available at a at a lower rate that the work will suck and you know there's so many things that can be done in so many different ways uh you know with that you have to put some effort into it too uh, just because you heard a horror story about someone that hired a dev company in india does not mean the whole entire industry sucks 
Um, that could have that could have potentially been as much about you as it was about them. So, you know, uh, give it a shot. And I think, Nate, I think you hit it right on the head is don't don't bet, put all your chips on one person because you're now there's millions of, of potential service providers out there, meaning people that can do the job like it, trying to assume that an entire country's output is based on your impression or experience with one person is just not a very big sample space. Well, that's a, that's it for our time today. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Doing some of the same stuff that Nate does at the Outsource School, but really I think if you want to learn more about it, they've got a great program put together. They have 10 years of experience. And look, there's there's just a few things when it comes to training and this kind of input. Listen with your ears open because the you know the the solution to getting outsourcing and offshoring, whether it's VAs or developers or anything, it's pretty straightforward. You just got to put a little effort into figuring out what to avoid and have an open mind and and get to work. So I'll see you all next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.